0: Lord Jesus, and we just ask that our ears would be open and our hearts would be open. Father, as we dive into the Word of God, the message that you sent to the church in Thyatira, I believe, is a message for us today. So I just pray, Holy Spirit, that you would use my mouth and my words to communicate what you would have us hear. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So I'm super excited about this today, and... Hopefully we will, we had a lot of time. Okay, so Thyatira, Thyatira, you know, it really wasn't much of a city. That's what I've learned. It really wasn't much of a city. It wasn't huge. It didn't have these great temples and these beautiful monuments. And it wasn't really, really, there's not really much left of it. There's actually a modern city there in Thyatira now. But it was named after King Seleuza's daughter, um, about 25,000, 30,000 people. And it was a blue-collar, hard-working city. And we can all relate to that, right? Because we're in the blue-collar, hard-working area of northern Ohio. (laughs) And so that's kind of what Thyatira was like. And it was sat on the Romans Road. If you could put that map up, Martha, you can kind of see where it is. See, we're going around in a circle, kind of. And Thyatira was just east of Pergamon and north of Sardis. So Sardis is where we'll go next time. But Thyatira was basically built there to be a military outpost to protect Pergamum. Remember, Pergamum had a lot of government. They had beautiful temples. They were kind of like a, a major city. And Thyatira was there to protect Pergamum from eastern invaders. So it was really a military outpost city. So if you've ever been to like a a, a city where there's a military base on, it's got a culture, right? It's got a feel for it. You see a lot of young families, a lot of military people, and that's kind of what Thyatira was was like, a mix between blue-collar, hardworking industry, and military, okay? You got the picture? So it was a trade city because of its central location. So you can see that Ephesus, Smyrna, and Pergamum and Laodicea, Philadelphia, and Sardis, they would meet in Thyatira. So there was a lot of trading that happened, a lot of industry, a lot of trading. Um, So you can kind of tell what this um, central location was made up of. Some of the trades were wool, wool workers, linen workers, makers of outer garments, dyers, leather workers, tanners, potters, there were bakers, there were slave dealers, and bronze smiths. So there was a lot of industry there. You know, you can kind of picture, remember when um, our Cuyahoga River, is that, that's the one that was on fire in Cleveland? You kind of get that feel of it. it was just a real industrious city. And you had a lot of Traders there. So, this was a list of the industry of its day. Most of the one of the most popular industries was the dyeing of textiles. Dyeing of textiles. The purple dye used in Thyatira was made of the matter root. See this? So, they took this root of this plant and they created this beautiful colors of yarn and silk and they would trade it. And remember in the Bible in Acts 16. Remember, we heard about Lydia. Lydia was a trader of purple. Let's read that scripture verse. In Acts 16, 14 through 15, it says, one of them, Lydia, was a businesswoman originally from Thyatira, and she made a living buying and selling fine purple fabrics. She was a true worshiper of God and listened to Paul with special interest. So she had traveled to where Paul was preaching from Thyatira, and she could have been the one that took the gospel back. Isn't that powerful? She could have been the one that took the gospel back. The, it says the Lord opened her heart to take in the message with enthusiasm, and she and her whole household were ceremonially washed through baptism. So we see kind of like a little picture of what's happening in Thyatira. There was a history of the church being built, possibly through Lydia, but there was also a lot of trade and a lot of military activity in the city. Thyatira also had a culture of idol worship, like all of the other ones did, right? The city's major cult, along with many others, but one in particular, was of Apollos, And if you know anything about Greek mythology, Apollos was the son of Zeus. So he was the son of little g, God. Okay, and that we'll get back to that. There's some significance to that. So this worship became a part of um, social life as well, especially in Thyatira. Because in Thyatira, there were these things called trade guilds. Trade guilds. So you had all the bakers and you had all the coppersmiths and you had all the um, garment dyers and you had all these people that would hang out together, right? They they formed these guilds or it's kind of like a mix between a union and a, what would you call it, like a um, a regulatory agency. Kind of like a mix between that where they would form these, form these groups and and they would kind of form these hierarchies, right, of like, okay, you know, you're a master, you're a journeyman, you're an apprentice. Have you kind of hearing a little bit of the tie in the history? And they would, so a trade guild, the definition, I'll just tell you, is this. A group of people who work in the same profession or craft and come together to regulate and protect their trade. So we have a lot of these guilds today, but they just look a little bit different. We call them unions, right? Or we call them the regulatory, the, N- the NRA, or, or we call them, I know I, I belong to one for real estate, and I can't even remember the name of it. National, NAR, National Association of Realtors. That's what it is. So it's kind of like the same thing. Um, so they would create the rules, they would create the governance within the profession, and they would also say who could be accepted into their guild. But the interesting thing was, is each guild had a patron god. So some guilds had worshipped the god of Apollos, and some worshipped the other gods and the goddesses. And, and each one would not only set up their profession, they would come together and worship their patron god. So there was a mix of the business and the social events and the worship, and it was all in the middle of it. And if you wanted to find success in your trade, you had to belong to a guild. No one was going to buy your stuff unless you were a part of the agency, right, or the guild or the, the group that said it was okay for you to do business. So you can start seeing some of the pressure that the Christians were under because they didn't want to become a part of this organization that demanded that they serve this God, this patron God. These guilds would own real estate. They would have a hall that they would meet in. See, our, our minds are going, oh, yeah, this one, and oh, yeah, that hall, and oh, yeah, that hall. It's pretty, it's pretty similar to what we see today. So they would, they would have meetings in these and social events in these halls, and they would always end up being... A form of idol worship, a form of idolatry with sexual immorality involved in all of it. And so if you were not a part of this, you would be blacklisted. If you were not a part of the network, you would not have any income, basically. You wouldn't be able to support your family. So these Christians were beginning to feel the persecution in Thyatira. So knowing the history of Thyatira, we can read the first verse of the letter and gain some understanding. You ready? Let's go to Revelation 2, verse 18. Remember, Jesus is speaking to the messenger of the church of Thyatira. The messenger, some versions call it the angels, they're talking to the pastors. These messages were to the pastors. So they were the leaders of the ministries, and they were given instruction to give to their people and to their churches. And sometimes it was personal instruction, which you will see here. It says, these write down my words and send them to the messenger of the church in Thyatira. These are the words of the son of God. Now that one line of Jesus, and it's so significant, so personal to the people of Thyatira, to the one whose eyes blaze like flames of fire, and whose feet gleam like brightly polished bronze. So in this letter, remember, through all the churches, first he introduces himself. And every time, every letter, it's different. He introduces himself differently. It's all a part of the chapter 1 right? Revelation of Jesus. And this one was very significant because he presents himself as the son of God. And if you go back to Revelation 1, it's very similar, but he's presented as the son of man. Okay? So there's a little bit of a difference there, but the son of man, every time God is references Jesus as the son of man, he's speaking of his humanity, He's reminding us that Jesus came and he took the form of a man. And not just that, he came, he humbled himself. God became man. He humbled himself. He put himself in our shoes. And that's the significance of him being called the son of man. But this time, this time it was important for Jesus to be declared as the son of God. The son of God, he's speaking of his deity. He's saying, I have God's nature. I am God and I am of God, right? In direct opposition to Apollos. See, Jesus got on the scene and he said, oh no, (laughs) that is not the son of God. I am the son of God. And so these letters were so personal to the people that would be listening to the, being them, them being read to them. And I just think that's so amazing and so awesome that Jesus is so personal in our life. This word, this word says something so personal to me, and it says something so personal to each of you every time we open it because he has a message for us, right? So the patron God was spoken to and declared Jesus' divinity was in direct opposition to who this patron god, Apollos, declared himself to be. And then he speaks their language. He goes on to say, The one with eyes blaze like the flames of fire. He's speaking the language of the trades. Think about that. The ones whose feet gleam brightly polished bronze these silversmiths these coppersmiths they were they were familiar with fire right they used it to work their trade they used it they took that bronze and they mixed those metals and they made those bowls and all these other things that they would take to trade so they were they knew what he was talking about when he was talking about eyes of fire what do eyes of fire speak to us they speak about the gaze right they speak about the penetration the purity cuz Fire purifies, right? There's two things that I love to stare at, right? Water and fire. Isn't it captivating? I mean, I don't care if it's a fish tank. We're just drawn to it. It's the water and it's the fire. It's the flames. It penetrates our souls, right? It's It's that purifying gaze. And that's the same thing with the Jesus's eyes. Flames like fire. He goes down deep into the middle of our soul. The feet, the bronze feet. See, bronze is heavy metal. I, I wanted to find a piece of bronze and just throw it around here because it's heavy. It's heavy. And the, the his feet always speaks of judgment in the Bible. Throughout the Old Testament, all the way to the New Testament, when he's coming with feet of bronze, he's talking about coming with judgment. But here's the thing. Here's the interesting fact about bronze is it's so heavy. He's not coming fast his judgment's not coming fast. He's slow to judgment. He's slow. He's giving us time to repent. Do you see what's happening? The craziness in the world? Jesus is giving us time to repent. He's giving his church time to wake up. He's giving us time to go, oh my gosh, I don't know how I missed that. Oh my gosh, I got to get things in order. Oh man, I repent, Jesus, right? He's giving us time because his feet of judgment are heavy and they're slow. And he doesn't come and crush us quickly, he, but he gives us time to get things in order. And that's what he's saying. He's saying, man, I see your heart. I see into, into your soul and I'm coming, but I'm coming slow. So get things together. Get things together. So let's so this knowing that first couple sentences from Jesus in that letter, we know that he is not presenting a weak message to the Church of Thyatira. And that's one of the main reasons I could not preach that on Mother's Day, (laughs) right? (laughs) Couldn't preach about Jezebel and killing her children on Mother's Day. (laughs) But but we'll see when we get into this word that it's a it's a strong message to the church to the church that he loves. He loves the church, and he's giving them this message because it's so important. So Revelation 2.19, let's go back. This is the first thing he said. He said, I know your deeds, your, your love, your faithfulness, your service, your endurance, your labors greatly increase in quality as you travel along this journey. He said, I know you're doing great. You are active in the ministry. You are helping one another. You're loving one another. You're taking flowers to sick people. You are t- you're sharing the gospel. He goes, I see it all. Remember the eyes of fire? He sees what you're doing, and it's good. It's faithful, and you have endurance. And then he said, you just keep getting better. So Jesus is encouraging the church for the very first thing that he says to them. He's encouraging them. They may be active in ministry. There may be discipleship happening, good works happening. He said, you're doing great. And then the however comes. (laughs) Then the but, (laughs) right? It's that sandwich. You sandwich something good. You put the difficult thing in the middle, and then you encourage someone going out, right? You've heard that before. He says, but. In Revelation 2, 20 and 21, he said, however... I have this against you. You have tolerated that woman, Jezebel. Oh, this might be one of the, these, these two verses here might be a couple of the hardest verses in the Bible, honestly. He said, that woman, Jezebel, who is a self-anointed prophetess and who misleads my followers to commit immoral sexual acts and to eat food prepared for idol worship. Verse 21, I have provided her enough time to turn away from her indecency, but she refuses to turn from these immoral acts. Those heavy feet, he's trying to give her time, right? He's giving her time, those heavy feet of judgment. He's saying, I'm trying to get her to pay attention. I'm trying to get her to stop, but she's leading my people astray. He calls out the woman Jezebel. In two earlier manuscripts, the two earliest manuscripts of the New Testament actually call her your woman. So if you think about it, this letter was sent to the who? The pastor. And his woman would have been his wife. Yikes. Yikes. So this was a heavy letter, we don't know this for sure, but there's a grammatical Greek, what do they call it, preposition, or I don't know, that's so wrong. But Adrian took Greek in college. Do you remember any of it? No. No. <laughs> but there's a word there that that woman can be translated to your woman. So Jesus could have been talking to the pastor's wife. And the pastor's wife could have, and it says here that she was leading people astray, telling them that it was okay to commit these immoral sexual acts and to eat food prepared for idol worship. And if you look at Jezebel, her name probably wasn't Jezebel. Like, do we know anybody named Jezebel? There's a reason for that, right? Like, we're not going to name our daughter Jezebel because we know that's a bad name. Even if you don't know the story of Jezebel, you know that that name is not appropriate for little girls, right? So the story of Jezebel is found in 2 Kings, and I'll give you a really quick backstory. Jezebel was queen, the wife of King Ahab. So King Ahab was king over Israel. And he married Jezebel. She was a Phoenician. She was the king, the king of Phoenicia. I might be saying that wrong. His daughter. And she was ma- given to Ahab in marriage as like a peace treaty, right? They would, they would exchange wives, and so their countries would be related then, right? And they wouldn't have any reason to fight. And so Jezebel comes into the nation of Israel, and she brings her idols, She brings Baal. She brings Asherah. And what does Ahab do? He adopts these idols. And it says in the Bible that he actually built an altar to Baal. And he set up a sacred pole. And here's the craziest thing. I've never seen this before in the Bible. That happened. Okay, he built the altar. And then it like takes this random out-of-context story. All of the sudden, over here, immediately after, somebody decides to build the walls of Jericho back up. After 500 years! And I started asking, Holy Spirit, does this have something to do with the altar of Baal being set up? Because if you remember, the walls of Jericho was the first city that God gave the nation of Israel when they went into the promised land. The very first stronghold that was supernaturally brought down, right? The territory was given to the nation of Israel. As soon as they set up an altar to Baal, what happened? The walls of Jericho began to be rebuilt. Now that says a lot about us compromising because of Jezebel, saying, I want this in my life. I want this. I want to worship this. I want this. And then what happens? Territory that we already had taken care of, right, that God already gave us, was rebuilt in their life. And that's huge. That should make us slow down and say, where am I compromising? Where am I compromising? When we entertain idol worship, later in the chapter we'll see that God calls it the deep things of Satan. We will lose ground. What territory we had won will begin to be rebuilt again in our lives. Because Jezebel promoted compromise. And I'm sure that she won the heart of her husband and manipulated him, right? She was probably a beautiful, beautiful young girl. She probably was um, powerful. And he may have done it to keep her from nagging, right? He took her away from her, her family. He probably felt bad. He wanted to keep her happy. Whatever the reason, she got her way. And she brought 450 prophets of Baal with her. So she began to change the culture of Israel. So the country was infiltrated with idol worship. She caused the whole nation to compromise. So what did this most likely look like in Thyatira? And this is what I think the whole message is going to be about today. You take an Old Testament story and Jesus applies it to a New Testament church. Now our responsibility is to take this New Testament message and apply it to our It's our responsibility. And the Holy Spirit doesn't give us that on our own. He says, I'll go with you. I'll show you. But this is what this whole message is about today. And this is what he's convicted me in my life these last few weeks as I was studying this. Adrian doesn't like it when I cry. (laughs) I'm not going to cry. So she probably taught that it was okay to be a part of a trade guild. She probably said, you know what? You've got to feed your kids. It's okay. You go be a part of that blacksmith's meeting. You go be a part of that dying garments meeting. It's okay. You have to buy groceries. And she probably, she probably said, it's okay to eat the meat sacrificed with idols. After all, you, your mom made that dinner for you. You know, these trade guilds were family businesses. The grandpa, the grandpa trained the grandkids, right? Masters, journeymen, apprentices, remember? And so these were family ties, and it was offensive not to eat their food. It's okay to engage in sexual morality. Maybe you got to sleep your way to the top. It happens now. You don't think it happened then, right? But why did she teach this stuff? Why did she teach this stuff? Maybe it was because she wanted to be a part of it herself, Maybe it was because she wanted to keep people from losing her jobs. After all, she had to get a paycheck, right? (laughs) Or maybe because she wanted everyone to look, to like her. Think about that, to grow her numbers in the church. Whatever the reason, she was teaching that it was okay to compromise and Jesus could no longer tolerate it. And this was a huge judgment. And we need leaders to refuse to be Jezebels. That's right. That's right. This is an easy message. Like, I like people to like me, <laughs> right? <laughs> but I'd rather be called radical than Jesus call me Jezebel. I'd rather. And the next two verses are two more hard ones, and I think we're going to get through these, right? We're going to get through these. Revelation 2, 22 and 23. He says, Watch, I will throw her back into her sickbed with those who committed adultery with her, and I will make them a bed of great affliction if they do not abandon her indiscretions and turn to follow me. Jesus is saying, I'm taking this seriously, and you need to take it seriously. 23, I will punish her by striking her children dead. Through this, all the churches will know that I am the one who relentlessly explores the mind and the heart, and I will deal with each of you as you deserve according to your acts. Those eyes of fire, they're looking at us. They're looking at us personally. He's watching. He's getting into our souls, going, Where are you compromising? And the eyes of fire purifies, right? It purifies. It might hurt, but it's good. It's good purifying. Jesus is calling for her repentance and for all those who follow her message of compromise. He wants to forgive us. He wants us to turn from our wicked ways so he can heal our land. But he declares judgment over those who continue in the sin of compromise. In verse 23, children refers to her followers. All of those that love to hear the message, oh, I can go I can go and just do my business and nothing bad's going to happen to me? Oh, okay, I'm going to go do this. Those were her followers. And he said, he said those, they're not going to prosper is what he's saying. And it says dead here refers to a deadly disease or pestilence. Could this sickness be a natural consequence of immorality and a judgment of God? What's the answer? Yes, <laughs> yes. Okay, Revelation 2, 24 and 25. So I say to the rest of you in Thyatira, see, he's going, look, there's some of you that you don't have a problem with compromise. And I'm saying to the rest of you, those who have not held to the teaching of Jezebel and who remain ignorant of the real meaning of what is called the deep things of Satan, I will not burden you with anything anymore. 25, just keep on task and keep the faith until I return. Jesus separates here the sheep from the goats. He separates it. He separates us and he'll do it again. He says, listen, if you are willing to not compromise, I won't burden you with anything more. Just keep on task. But he says to hold fast in other versions. What does that mean? That means don't let go. Don't slip up. Get a tight grip. Don't let anyone take this from you. If you're holding something, no one's going to take it from you, right? Even when it gets hard, even when you get start feeling persecuted, that grip has to stay strong. When someone's going to call you a bigot, are you going to lose grip, right? If, if, are we going to hold on to this once we, be, we start looking like the bad guys? No, we're not going to let go. We're going to hold fast. We have to hold fast to our morals, to our principles, to our faith. Stay strong. We dig in no matter what. We won't compromise. And then the rest of the letter, which is the longest, by the way, of all the churches, the insignificant Thyatira, right? Got the longest letter from Jesus. The rest of the letter gives us a contrast between faithfulness and compromise. And this is so exciting. Jesus calls them faithful. In Revelation 2, 26 through 28, it says, And as for those who conquer through faithfulness, even unto death, we don't like to read that part though, even unto death and continue to labor with me until, I, until the close of the final curtain, I will give them authority over the nations that's huge. If we don't compromise, what do we get? Authority. Think about that. Have you ever wondered why it looks like the church doesn't walk in much authority? Maybe, maybe, right? There's compromise. Jesus says to the faithful, even unto death, they will receive authority over the nations. Jesus is saying faithfulness is rewarded with authority. We want power over the enemy, faithfulness. We want to see demons run at the mention of his name, faithfulness. God says faithfulness is rewarded by authority. And then in 27, it says, shall rule. What is that talking about? That's like ruling like a shepherd. Think about a shepherd with sheep. God is saying, you're going to rule. You're going to rule like a shepherd who cares, who guides those that God is going to put in your care. With an iron scepter, those, in another version, it says, a shepherd's staff made of iron. David says, what did David say? Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me, right? What happened when the sheep got out of, out of um, line? He would take the hook and he would bring it back in line. What happened when they did something bad? Maybe he would like tap them on the butt, right? <laughs> Get back over here. That rod and that staff, it's a comfort to us. Because in the Hebrews, what does it say? It says, God disciplines the, those he loves, and we don't, we don't let God discipline us anymore. You know, it's so important to be in the grace, grace, grace period of the church. It's very, very important. But God still disciplines those he loves. Now the faithful, with authority, will be able to shepherd those we have been given authority over. These are your children. These are generations These are those we are discipling. Jesus wants us to have a shepherd's voice and a shepherd's heart for others. And our influence will increase if we get rid of compromise in our life. Our influence increases. Why? Because he knows he can trust us. He's like, oh, wait a minute. I'm going to give you this staff with iron on it because I know I can trust you to not beat people up with it, right? (laughs) I can trust you to love people through it. And you're going to have the authority of Jesus. You know, I was walking this morning and praying about the service and really feel like the Holy Spirit is in this for me personally. And I'll share a little bit later, but I really felt like some of you in here are going to start running for school boards the authority that he's giving you, you're going to be on the school board. And if God's been speaking to you about that, you need to obey because he's going to give you that authority. City council, yeah. If God's been speaking to it, you need to obey. He's going to start putting his people who don't compromise in areas of authority so that we can influence and bring Jesus into our world. You think the enemy's backing up right now? He's advancing because we're giving him room. He should have no room to advance because the light should be there, right? So we need to obey when the Holy Spirit says to do something like that. And God will make a way. He'll put you there if he wants you there. And finally, verse 28 says, I will bestow Did I read these? Yes, 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 shattered to pieces. And as I receive this authority from my father, I will bestow the morning star to the victor. Who is the morning star? It's Jesus's perfect brightness. It breaks through the darkest night. It's actually Venus. You have a picture there, Martha. It's actually Venus, and it comes out right before the morning. It comes out in the darkest time of night, And you can go out, if you're ever up that early, and look for Venus in the the sky. And Jesus declares, right when it's the darkest, (laughs) I'm going to give you this morning star, and you're going to pierce through the darkness with the light of Jesus that lives inside of you. You will shine in the darkness. And finally, Revelation 2.29 Every single one of these scriptures are so powerful, but this is the, the perfect one to close in. And I've got a little bit more time, but this closes it all up for us. It says, let the person, everybody put your hand on your heart. You are the person. Let the person who is able to hear, to listen to, and to follow what the Spirit proclaims to all the churches. Jesus is speaking to you. He's speaking to me. This is a personal message, and it's so important. It's to all of us, to every church, to every age, to pay attention to the urgency of this message. And the message is, no compromise, stay faithful. Jesus is saying, listen up. This, This message is for all churches. And what is he saying? I've really been asking this for to him. I'm like, Jesus, I see all these temples and these gods and the sexual immorality and you know, I'm looking at my life and we don't we don't see temple idol, idols temples to idols and we don't we don't sacrifice meat to idols and do you want me to stop eating meat? I mean, that's not it. I know that's not it. And you know, I've been having these conversation with the Holy Spirit. And even in Acts there's a scripture verse where where Peter gave a message through Barnabas and Silas, and he said, just tell the Gentiles not to eat any food sacrificed to idols, don't drink any blood or eat any animals that were strangled, and don't, don't take part in any sexual immorality. And I'm like, well, I don't do any of that. I guess I'm good, right? And then he said, what are you consuming And then I had to slow down. Holy Spirit will tell you, trust me. There was a moment a couple weeks ago, and Olivia's here. She's had to deal with me. I've been a little radical, little radical stepmom all her whole life. (laughs) But a couple weeks ago, I had my grandbabies over, and I was putting them to bed. Tommy, three three three-year-olds, so much fun. I love them, but they, it really should, they remind me how old I am. Whew. So we had the mattress down on the floor, a toddler bed, a little, I don't think I put any in the crib. I had two mattresses on the floor. And they all got to pick a stuffed animal out of the little basket in the playroom. And I had gotten Olivia these little troll dolls from the movie Trolls. They were like this big, Polly and what's his name. I don't know, these cute little blue and pink things. And they all had, both of them had one. And you know, this is coming from a, a woman that was not allowed to watch the Smurfs when I was little. I wasn't. <laughs> My mom and dad did not let us watch the Smurfs. So you'll understand in a minute. Right, April? No Smurfs. So I put them to bed and I prayed with them and I loved them, kissed them, and, and I left. And the Holy Spirit said, you just put your, oh, they, had, they were holding the trolls. Don't judge me for this. This is my personal word from the Holy Spirit, okay? He said, you just put your bet, your, kid, your grandbabies to bed with the demons. And I went, oh. You know, I was asking him. I was asking him where the temples were. I was asking him where the food sacrificed with idols were. He told me, and I'm not telling you to go and throw away all your troll stuff, but you might want to. <laughs> Ask Holy Spirit. But I'm telling you that there's so many things in our life that the devil has infiltrated and we don't even pay attention. We don't even we don't even think anything of it. And what's happening is Jericho is being rebuilt. We're losing our authority. We're losing our authority in our children's lives, in our grandchildren's lives, in our neighbors' lives. When they need rescued, they're getting beat up by the enemy, and we can't do anything about it because we have troll dolls in our basket. Do you know what I mean? I know that's radical. I know, I know it's radical, but I'd rather be radical than be Jezebel, right? Sorry, I know. You can all talk about me later. I don't care. I love you anyways. Listen and follow what the Spirit proclaims to you. Jesus said this is a personal message. He said this is a personal message. No more eating meat sacrificed to idols. Be ready for June, guys. You can already feel it coming. June is coming, and June is a month that was for thousands of years, was a sacred month of idol worship. It's been, it's been historically, like for thousands of years, June has been the month for Satan worship. And I don't have all the details. Yeah, there you go. Maybe I'll have to get into it and study that a little bit more. But get ready, because it's going to be more and more accessible, the meat sacrifice titles. So what are we consuming? We, will not, we will, will not entertain known associations of the enemy in my house, the trolls. I felt bad, Olivia. I threw your trolls away. <laughs> I felt bad. But I was like, I'm not even giving them to her. She's 21, but she's not allowed to have little demons either. <laughs> I love you. Um, So the point is not to go on witch hunts. That's not it. The point is to listen to the Holy Spirit, but it's to not compromise. What am I listening to and following what the Holy Spirit proclaims to you? Don't be let Jericho be rebuilt in your life. God gave you that territory, and he wants to give you more. (laughs) That's the cool part. He wants to give us more territory, and we are ready for more territory. We are ready for more authority. And finally, like I said before, I refuse to be Jezebel. I'm already a girl, right? (laughs) I'm not going to be Jezebel. I'm going to tell the truth, and I'm going to preach faithfulness no matter what the cost And I know that you guys love the word, you love truth, and you are not compromising either. So what I wanted to do as everybody stands up today is I wanted you to just have an opportunity to ask the Holy Spirit to begin speaking to you. You know, our heads are so thick sometimes. You know, our souls are so like heavy sometimes. It takes like days and weeks moments of contemplation with the Holy Spirit, for him to be able to go, this in your life, this in your life. Because remember, he's he's a quiet voice. He's a gentle, he's a dove, right? He doesn't come with a bulldozer. He wants to speak to us and he'll show us. And it's such a beautiful relationship. softly with eyes of fire and show us where compromise is causing us to lose authority. So I want to invite everybody this morning to just close your eyes and in your own words, ask the Holy Spirit to show you where there may be compromise in Could be a product you have in your home. It could be a store you shop at. It could be something you listen to or watch on TV. It could be a thought in your mind that you entertain over and over and over again. It could be bitterness or unforgiveness. Whatever it is, the compromise is what Holy Spirit wants to deal with this morning in all of our lives. So Holy Spirit, come to you today and we ask you to speak to us. Let this message become personal. Not for selfish reasons. Of course, we don't want to be called Jezebel. But it's so that we can have the shepherd's staff in our hand. So we can lead more and more people to Jesus so we can stand for truth and be the light for our grandkids who are being bombarded by the enemy. I pray, Jesus, that you would allow us to see so clearly what you want to do in our lives today, that we would walk in authority. You said you would give us nations. You said you would give us nations, God. Every single one of us in here, Lord Jesus, can have the authority of nations as we submit ourselves to you. In Jesus' mighty name, amen, and amen, amen. Well, we're going to open up the altar this morning, and if you want prayer for anything, thank you. If you want prayer for anything, agreement, we'll be here to pray for you. Are you guys going to say?